Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 26th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Law, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Enjoy. You know what, a lot of people have come along and just said, well, you know, Christianity is all about rules. It's really not. Truth is, Christianity is all about relationships. The intent of the law, the reason why the law was given is so that you and I would not abuse one another, that we would learn how to live in a righteous way with each other. That we learn how to really love God, learn how to love people, learn how to love our neighbors, learn how to love even our enemies. You see, when God gave the children of Israel the Mosaic law, he had four basic reasons for the law. A lot of people have asked me, you know, different times, well, why did God even give the law? Well, there's some good reasons for that. For example, one of the reasons why, you know, God gave the law was that we would learn the difference between right and wrong. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. We need to learn that that it's not okay to steal, it's not okay to kill, that lying is not a good thing. And then secondly, we need to learn that our creator is holy. You know, how would God teach us about holiness if he just said the word and no one even understood what it meant, but he had to teach us that, that uh, he is holy and that he calls us to live holy lives. Thirdly, we had to learn that God is a solution for our sin problem. Each of us are, in fact, sinners. And that that forgiveness of the sin, it doesn't come easily. It comes by the shedding of blood and that we needed to learn how to live differently in our world. Different than the world. Changed, transformed, forgiven, graceful, all those things. By the way, we still need those same reminders even today. The New Testament actually tells us why we need the law. In Galatians chapter three, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes and he says this, he says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The, the uh, New American Standard uses actually a little bit more picturesque word than guardian. It uses the word tutor. Now think about that. If you've been in school and you were struggling with something, you might have had a time where you went into you know, a study hall area and someone came alongside of you and helped tutor you in something. You know, perhaps it was a language or math or something like that. A tutor was someone that comes along to help us to learn. And so what Paul is telling us here is why God gave the Old Testament law, he gave it to us to be a tutor so that we would learn some things, some important lessons. Well, like what? What would be an example? Sacrifices. Sacrifices would be a perfect example. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were started so that an individual person, just the average person out there, could experience the forgiveness of sin. And so an animal was taken as a substitute and killed, and the blood was spread over the altar, and and therefore, because of the death of that sinner, that substitute there in this case, we learned substitutionary atonement. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, we believe thoroughly in substitutionary atonement because we believe that the truth of the gospel is Jesus died as our substitute for us. 
That's why it mattered. But that sacrifice was only a temporary sacrifice because people would sin again and every time they sinned, they needed to make another sacrifice. Now, that brings up a really important question that the passage will answer here is that why don't we make sacrifices today? Well, the passage we're gonna be looking at this morning in verse 17 will tell us that Jesus fulfilled the law. That's really good news, folks. We don't have to keep making all those sacrifices. The question is, how did he do it? How did he fulfill the law? Well, this is a little bit of a long passage, but if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, because I want us to look together quickly before we go back into Matthew chapter five and what the writer of Hebrews tells us about what Jesus does on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse one, says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, before we go any further, let me just make sure you catch that part. It is impossible for the bloods that came from those animals that were sacrificed to take away your sins personally. You say, well, why why did we do that then? Remember the law. This law was a tutor to teach you that blood was going to be shed. Those animals were here to learn, or for us to learn, that we're sinners, and something had to be done about that. Verse five, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. In other words, God didn't like the whole offering system you know, from the very beginning, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he, he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, we sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus doesn't just fulfill the law. He is the fulfillment. He does what no one else can do. He makes us righteous by his own sacrifice of himself. That's what the scriptures teach us. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 said this. He said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is why we don't make sacrifices today. We don't have to continually keep going back before the Lord and making another sacrifice for our sins. And by the way, we're still sinners. Jesus' one-time sacrifice on the cross is the reason why that is done. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verses 17 through 20 because Jesus here is gonna tell us four things that we need to know about the law. Now, let me read the passage here for us. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same we call least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are pretty heavy duty words. And in many ways, confusing. I mean, we don't wanna go to church typically and talk about the law. I mean, the only thing we want to know is I'm free from that, right? Well, why does Jesus keep talking about it? Well, the first thing he's going to tell us here in verse 17 is the importance of the law. Let me go back and read that one time. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now notice here that Jesus has not come to abolish it. So there's, there's not this inconsistency between his message and the message that the law had. But he has come to fulfill the law. Something that no other person, no other thing could ever do. I mean, something that the, the blood of the animals that were sacrificed in could not do. He himself is going to come and fulfill the law. But not just the law, because in verse 17, it also says he's going to abolish the prophets. Now, when does he do that? He did that at the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 30, while Jesus is on the cross, he stops and he utters these words, it is finished. What was finished? Okay, this is where it's gonna be hard, so you have to stay with me on this, okay? We're gonna go back to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll put it up on the screen so you don't have to turn in your Bible. But I want you to see something. Hebrews chapter 10 in the middle part there, there were these words. Because we're talking about what was finished. Verse five, he says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of the book. Then you drop to verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What was finished was the sacrifice. Jesus had fulfilled the law. 
Hebrews 10.10 tells us there that we are sanctified by his sacrificial death on the cross, which means on the cross, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, his perfection now has become your perfection. Verse 17, he also tells us that he came to fulfill the prophets, meaning the prophecies. Well, how? Well, think back for a second for a minute. Remember back when we were going through Genesis? And in Genesis chapter 22, there's a story here where God tells Abraham to take your son, your only son, Isaac, to a land which I will show you and offer him there to me. So he takes Isaac to this place called Moriah, to, land, to, the, to Mount Moriah to, to sacrifice him there. The reason why he did that was this was supposed to be a picture of the things to come. But when he gets there, God stops him. Because you know, Isaac was never intended to be sacrificed. There was never an intention that Isaac would die on that mountain. But a son would die on that mountain one day. Somebody's son would die on that mountain. Then Abraham stops and he prophesies that place and he says these words, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Well, a thousand years later, Mount Moriah was now known as Jerusalem and God offered his own son on the mountain to die there. That's how he fulfilled the prophets. Now, the second thing you'll see here in verse 18 is you'll see the fulfillment of the law. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus is telling him that the Old Testament law is not immediately gonna go away, not a single mark, not a single dot. I mean, you could not have a higher view of the law than he had at this point. But he does tell us that there will come a day when it will go away along with the universe. Well, when? Well, according to verse 17, when Jesus fulfills the law. Until that time, though, the law would still be being preached. Murder and stealing were still considered wrong. You're still supposed to love God. You're still supposed to love each other. We're still supposed to try to live holy. We're still supposed to be different than the world. In fact, Jesus will continually keep through his ministry, not just on the Sermon on the Mount here, but the whole time he will continually keep calling people back to keeping the commandments. And this is where it could get confusing because we still have to obey the commandments today. I thought we were free from the law. You are free from the law. But the Ten Commandments were all reiterated back into the New Testament again by Jesus. Every single one. The only one that has a slight like twist to it would be the commandment about the Sabbath. Now you don't have to keep the Sabbath, but you have to keep a Sabbath. You have to find a time because the church didn't keep Sunday or Saturday as the Sabbath. They started worshiping the Lord on the very first day, not the last day of the week, but the first day of the week, which was Sunday. So all were reiterated back into the New Testament. So the fulfillment of the law is Jesus fulfilled all the minutia of the Old Testament law, but the commandments, the things that he's given us over and over again, which we know is the Ten Commandments, they're still in play. Now the third thing he's gonna tell us here in verse 19 is our attitude towards the law. 
He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, our attitude towards God and his law matters. Now, you have to remember that the law was not given to take away our fun. But the law actually was given to protect us. It would be a little bit like this. If my kids were to to stop and go running out in the street and start running, you know, playing in the street or maybe grab a knife and start, you know, swinging at each other and trying to scare people with it, we would run out there and stop them, wouldn't we? Because we love them. We're not doing that because we're trying to curtail their fun. Because, you know, if one of my kids were to grab a knife, you know, and go and start swinging at people and everybody like this, they'd be laughing and stuff like that. They would think it's funny until somebody got stuck. We would do that out of love. Well, that was exactly the reason why the Old Testament was around. God wasn't trying to, to stop people's fun. He was trying to protect them from wounding each other. It's interesting today because so many people today have such a low view of the Old Testament and in the law, and in the many ways, the God of the Old Testament. There are times that I've had people literally say to me, you know, Jesus, man, he's awesome, and I love him. But you know, when I read the Old Testament, mm, that God's not so appealing. Do you realize what you're saying? you realize you're talking about Jesus, his father? I mean, if you talked about the person I love the most, if you talked about my wife like that, you and I wouldn't be friends. I can't imagine for a second that we would actually do that. The reason why we get into a situation and think like that is we don't have a good enough view of what God was doing in the Old Testament. And what God was doing in the Old Testament is he was giving us a tutor. Simple as that. A tutor that would teach us those invaluable lessons that God is holy, he wants us to love each other, he's calling us and giving us a way to be holy, to come back to him, and he wants us to live differently than the rest of the world. And so we need to have a changed look. We need to have a better look at the tutor of God. Now, verse 18, 19, excuse me, also poses kind of a serious question because Jesus asks here, what did Jesus mean here when he says that practicing and teaching these commands will make you great in the kingdom of God and if you do not keep them or you do not teach them, you you break those commandments, you will be called least in the kingdom. Well, the idea is that you'll be great in the kingdom of God if you're faithful enough to teach the truth about these Old Testament laws and commands But if you just do away with them completely and you don't teach them at all, you walk away from them, you will be called least in the kingdom. And that is because the commands still have great truth in them. Again, for example, the use of the Sabbath. Today we live in a world where people say, look, you don't need to ever go to church. You don't need to gather together. You don't need to have a time of worship. Don't go. And yet the scriptures teach us that we need to keep a Sabbath time. If I don't, you know, if I tell people not to go, like it's no big deal, you don't need to be in church, then I would probably be called the least in the kingdom because I'm not teaching in accordance with telling someone to keep the commands. But if I'd encourage you, look, you don't have to be here on a Sunday, but you've got to find a day that becomes a Sabbath rest before God, then you would be called great. 
Now, if you go back again to verse 19, it sounds like Jesus is saying that we need to keep observing the law in this passage. But you have to remember, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, it was very early in his ministry. He likely had about three years left of ministry to take place. And so the law has not yet been fulfilled. He's three years before he's gonna go to the cross and die. At this point, he's telling people, look, you still need to be faithful. You still need to keep the commands. Now, get to verse 20. Verse 20 is it tells us that the righteousness that exceeds, there, there is a righteousness that exceeds the law keepers. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you've got to remember when Jesus is speaking here, this crowd of people would not have been all people that really liked him. There would have been a lot of people that would have gathered together in this crowd that would have been considered scribes and Pharisees. There are people that are waiting for him to make a mistake. There are people that are watching and listening and looking for him to say something that they think is slightly off so they can pounce on them this time. And that would have created an unbelievable amount of tension in the audience. Imagine you being here and you're not a scribe and Pharisee and you're sort of standing here and yet maybe a foot or two away is someone who spends their whole life trying to be incredibly righteous and live by every single law and, and proves it in every possible way. I mean, you feel like you shouldn't even be in their shadow. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of these people who are doing their very best, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, for the average person, I got to believe that was incredibly discouraging. I got to be better than them? My, my righteousness has to exceed a group of people that this is all they do is try to keep the law perfectly? How do you do that? How can I be better than the people that do every single possible thing they can to do to keep the law? What you realize here is that Jesus is telling us there is a righteousness that is beyond the law. A righteousness that is beyond what we do. Our righteousness is beyond our best efforts. Paul in Romans chapter 3 Verses 21 and 22 talked about this when he said, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Listen, when Jesus stood there on that mountain with thousands of people there and he said, your righteousness has to exceed these people who are doing their very best, that was a salvation moment just like it's a salvation moment now. Because you see, those people wrongly believed that getting into heaven was about me doing my best. Like so many people today, so many people in our world today think, you know, this is just about me trying my hardest. I just think, you know, I mean, forget what the Bible says. I just kind of personally think, you know, that God, you know, wants me just to try my best and, you know, there's a kind of balancing thing here and I've just got to be better than these other people and, and work hard at it and, and, and do, my, do the very best I can. 
That's why Jesus chose the scribes and Pharisees to use as an example. You couldn't be more religious. You couldn't be trying harder than that group of people. And so for Jesus to say, your righteousness has got to go beyond that, would have been an impossible task if it weren't for the ability to trust in God, the fact that God has a way. Your your best efforts are not good enough. There have to be a righteousness that goes beyond our best efforts. That's what we believe about salvation is there has to be something beyond us. And that's where we come to Christ by faith. See, the lesson there made a lot of sense to the Jew who was working to keep the law. We don't necessarily live in that world. But we do live in a world where we trust ourselves. And I'm telling you right now, your faith is not about what you do. It's about do you believe? Have you trusted in Christ? I want to encourage you, you could do that right where you're at this morning. You could stop right where you're at this morning. You don't have to come down to the front. You don't have to do anything like that, but you could stop and you could make a decision to follow Christ right where you're at, to trust in him. This morning is actually a a perfect morning for that because this morning we're actually gonna be taking communion. It's interesting because communion, uh, Paul, when he talks about communion, 1 Corinthians 11 says something very interesting about communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, He says that every single time we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every single time we take communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. That's what we do. And so this morning is an opportunity for us to decide what we believe. You see, as Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, one of the things that he says here is is that, that those of us that believe, we need to make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord. So there's a sense that each one of us as believers, you know, we sort of look at our lives and make sure that we're, our hearts are right, are right and that we've repented of anything that we needed to repent of and so then we can take communion with a clean heart. But if we're here this morning and you've never done that and you've never really, you know, you've always sort of trusted in yourself like the scribes and Pharisees had done and now you realize that there is a righteousness that goes beyond the scribes and Pharisees, that it's a righteousness that comes only by faith in Jesus Christ, this communion is a declaration of faith. It's saying, I believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. You're gonna fit into one of those two categories. And so I'm gonna ask those that are gonna come and serve us, if they would, I'd ask you as they pass around the elements that you would take, there's two cups, one inside of the other, you would take those both and you would hold on to them for just a moment. But I really would ask you to do this. Would you take a few minutes and do some business with God personally? If you're a believer and you know it, you've asked Christ to come into your life and to forgive you and take control of you, it's time for you to to make things right with the Lord and just to make sure your heart is right. But if you're sitting there, you don't know if you've ever even 
done that and you're not really sure why you've done it, it seems like a religious symbol, this is a symbol that is crying out saying, I believe in the broken body and the blood shed for me. I believe. This is an opportunity for you to begin your walk with Christ. So if you do, you take those cups as well and you hold it because just in a few minutes we'll come and we'll take those together. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that Paul took bread there in the upper room and he broke it and he passed it around and he basically told his disciples that this is my body broken for you is the same truth that we saw in Hebrews chapter 10 there that God was not satisfied with all these other sacrifices and so he gave his son a body that he would come and be the sacrifice and it would be his body broken for us that would make us sanctified, that would sanctify us, set us apart, would make us holy. Then the passage tells us that after supper he took a cup that had wine in it, and he passed it around, and, and that wine was represented of the blood. The blood that he would shed for us. The blood that Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so when we stop and we take communion, we are stopping and remembering the gospel. Why did Jesus talk about the law? The law wasn't going to save you. He talked about the law because the law was a picture of what would come, of the gospel. Why is it a tutor? Because it leads me to the place that I know that I cannot be perfect on my own. It leads me to the place where I see that I need God to make a way. I need the gospel truth. I needed him to have a body that would be broken and blood that would be shed for me. If you believe that, if you believe that, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are proclaiming the gospel message. If you believe that, you take the elements. Father, would you move in our hearts in a very powerful way to see, Lord, the truth that we need you desperately. And Lord, I pray that you would move in us to remember that when we got saved, God, you moved us into a new family and called us to a new lifestyle and gave us a brand new message. And you're calling us to share that with the world. We pray that that would be true of us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You are free today. You are free today in Christ because God sent his son to have his body broken, his blood shed so that we could be free in him. That is a righteousness that exceeds the law. God bless you.